Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Herbal Hour podcast. This is your host, Bogdan. In this week's story hour, I will be telling tales of King Arthur, the legends and myths. This comes from a book called Mythology, Myths, Legends, and Fantasies. I will tell stories of King Arthur, Camelot, the Knights of the Round Table, the legendary sword Excalibur, and the magician Merlin. For more episodes on topics in natural health and weekly stories about myth, psychology, and all things that fascinate the human mind, be sure to subscribe to the Herbal Hour podcast on iTunes and visit our YouTube channel, Herbal Hour Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Hope you enjoy. The Birth of Arthur As with so much of Arthur's story, even his very existence came out of the actions of the mysterious sorcerer Merlin. Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, king of the Britons, had fallen madly in love with Agrina, the wife of his enemy Garlois of Cornwall. This desire so possessed Uther that he persuaded Merlin to help him make it real. Accordingly, they went to Tintagel in Cornwall, Garlois's castle, and waited for a time when Garlois was away. Using his magical powers, Merlin transformed Uther into the likeness of his rival so that he could enter the castle and be with Agrina without her or anyone else suspecting his true identity. Their son Arthur was conceived from this magically assisted union. After leaving the castle, having satisfied his lusts, Uther learned that Gorlois had been killed in battle just a few hours before. He lost no time in pressing a suit on Agrina, and ultimately he married her. In this way, although Arthur had been conceived through a magical deception, he was legitimized as Uther's heir as he was born after the marriage of his mother to the man who was, in fact, his father. We do not know whether or not Agrina ever became aware of the truth of Arthur's conception. Indeed, she plays no further part in his story. Although Uther and Agrina had no other children, the marriage brought Arthur older half-sisters. The youngest, a girl called Morgan, or Morgan Le Fay, would grow up to be a powerful sorceress and become in time a major force against Arthur and his kingdom. Shortly after Arthur's birth, Merlin came to Uther and prophesying that the king did not have long to live, warned him of the grave dangers that surrounded his son from the nobles who would try to seize power after Uther's death. Uther was not a foolish man. He agreed readily with Merlin's plans to take the infant Arthur away and hide him with a foster family where he would come of age and safety. Not long after this meeting, Uther died and, as Merlin had foreseen, the country returned to a state of violence, split into warring factions, vying for rulership. The True Ruler of England after 15 long years of this conflict, a strange event took place. In a churchyard, there appeared a large stone with a heavy iron block, known as an anvil, on top of it. Thrust deep through both stone and anvil was a sword with the following words inscribed on its blade. Whosoever pulls out the sword is rightful born King of Britain. Seeing a chance to find peace with this wonder, the Archbishop, counseled by Merlin, announced a truce to be held over Christmas. During this time, there would be a tournament in London followed by a test to see who among the assembled lords and gentlemen of arms would extract the sword. Among those who made their way to London was the family of Sir Ector, including his son Kay, who would take part in the tournament. The young Arthur, whom everyone thought was Sir Ector's younger son, was acting as Kay's squire. On the day of the tournament, Kay left the sword in their lodgings, so Arthur set off to retrieve it. Unfortunately, the hostel was locked as everyone else had gone to the tournament. As he returned, he passed the sword in the churchyard and, removing it easily from the stone and anvil, took it to give to Kay. Kay recognized the sword at once and hurried to his father, claiming to have drawn it himself. Sir Ector knew this would not be so and revealed the truth about how Arthur had been brought to him by Merlin to be raised as his own. The following day, after many others had tried their hand, 
Arthur demonstrated that he and no other could draw the sword from the stone, and he was recognized by all who were gathered there as the legitimate ruler of the country. Arthur set about establishing his court and trying to bring the rule of law back to his kingdom. This was not always possible without recourse to arms, and in one early conflict the sword was broken. Merlin then came to him and took him to the Lady of the Lake, a powerful otherworld enchantress who gave him the enchanted sword Excalibur, which made its wielder undefeatable, as its sheath gave its wearer protection from harm. Thus armed, Arthur continued his campaign to rid the country of outlaws and conflict. During this time, he and the knights that were accompanying him arrived one day at the besieged castle of King Leo de Grants. Arthur and his men quickly drove off the attackers and rescued the castle's inhabitants. After the battle for the castle, among those who came to thank their rescuers was King Leo de Grants' lovely daughter, Guinevere, who Arthur straightaway fell in love with. Merlin, acting as advisor to Arthur as he had to his father, agreed that she would indeed make a fitting queen, but warned that her very beauty might in time become a danger. Arthur was undeterred, and in a short time the two were married. As part of her dowry, Guinevere's father gave Arthur a great round table that had originally been made for Uther Pendragon. Arthur took the table to his court at Camelot and set it up in the great hall. He then made it known throughout the land that any knight of good standing who would swear an oath to uphold the good and protect the weak and innocent would be welcome to join his company of the round table, where no man sat higher than any other. Part of the power of the table was that, when a knight arrived at Camelot, if he was worthy, his name would magically appear on the seat. Many knights came to see if they would be judged worthy enough for their names to appear in gold across the back of a seat at the round table. Soon only one seat remained without a name which Merlin told Arthur was kept for his most perfect knight. Arthur's marriage to Guinevere and the establishment of the Knights of the Round Table began the golden age of Arthur's court. Many quests and adventures would begin from that magical place. There is much discussion over the various origins and meanings of the female characters in the Arthurian tales. Many aspects of the myths may harken back to ancient Celtic deities, and this is certainly true of the female figures. The most prominent of these is Arthur's half-sister, Morgan le Fay literally Morgan the Fairy, who may relate to the Irish goddess Morrigan or Great Queen. Morrigan, like Morgan le Fay, is an ambivalent figure who can both heal or destroy heroes. Some analysts of mythology have seen in Morgan's enmity towards Arthur the relics of a transition between goddess to god-based religions. The Lady of the Lake is supernatural as well, and as is the case with many figures of Celtic myth, lives in the other world beneath the waters. One form of her name V. Viviana, suggests a connection with the Celtic water goddess, Coventina. Even Guinevere's name can be translated as the White Spirit. There are Welsh sources that call Guinevere the Three Queens of Camelot, a possible reference to the Celtic triple goddess, Maiden, Mother, and Crone, that is associated with the lands. When the king married the goddess's representative, he symbolically married the lands. Increasingly, however, early Welsh and Celtic stories also contain hints of the adulterous role Guinevere is to eventually play. Welsh triads named Gwenehavfar as the worst offender of the three faithless wives. Not long after the establishment of the round table, Arthur was to lose the aid of his greatest helper. Merlin had warned Arthur that he would not be with him forever, and now the time for his departure came. A maiden, Vivian, who had been taught in the practice of magic by Morgan le Fay, came to Camelot to study with Merlin, and so enraptured him with her beauty and wiles, that he could refuse her nothing. Over time, she learned all that he knew, until eventually her power rivaled his own. She then took him from Camelot to a wild place, where she placed him in a deep sleep and sealed him within a cave. 
This was not the only blow that Morgan Le Fay was to strike against Arthur. While he was on a hunting trip, she contrived through magic to capture him and pit him in combat to the death against one of his own companions. This battle went badly for Arthur, Arthur as his half-sister had armed his opponent with Excalibur and its magic sheath. Though badly wounded, Arthur managed to prevail and regained his enchanted blade. While he lay recovering from his wounds, Morgan Le Fay visited him. She attempted to steal Excalibur, but was unable to as he slept with the sword in his hands. She took the sheath, however, and threw it far into a lake, so depriving him of its protection. Despite these setbacks, Arthur succeeded in bringing peace to his kingdom and establishing the rule of good, piety, and chivalry wherever his power extended. The fame of his court and that of the Knights of the Round Table spread far and wide, a shining beacon of noble virtues in an oft-troubled world. There are many stories of the heroic deeds, the quest for justice, and the adventures in the name of Arthur's rule that the company of the Round Table embarked on. It would take a large book to recount them all. They include Colwich and his wonder-filled wooing of Olwen, Tristan and his doomed love for Assault, Bors the True, Gentle Peleus, and many others that made up the court of Camelot. However, despite the prowess of these knights, the greatest of the knights of the Round Table was Lancelot de Luc. The Knight of the Lake, so called as he was raised and trained by the Lady of the Lake following the death of his father. Lancelot's prowess was such that none could defeat him, and greater than his loyalty to Arthur was only his love of Guinevere, the flaw that would ultimately bring down Camelot and all that it had stood for. The introduction of Lancelot, more than any other character into the Arthurian mythos, highlights the shift over time from the values of the warrior king to those of romance and chivalry. Thus, Lancelot is a great warrior because he is pure. A typical Arthurian tale is that of Sir Gawain's encounter with the supernatural Green Knight. On New Year's Day, as there was great feasting in Camelot, a massive knight clad all in green rode into the castle hall, seated on an equally imposing and green horse. He challenged the knights. Which one will take the large axe he carries and strike him with it? Whoever does so will have to come, exactly one year to the day, and allow the Green Knight to return the blow. Only the brave Sir Gawain offers to champion the honor of King Arthur. He strikes the green knight, cutting off his head. Unconcerned, the knight leaves the hall carrying the head and reminding Gawain to meet him at the green chapel in a year's time. Gawain later sets off on his faithful horse, Gringolet, eventually arriving at a castle at Christmas. He is told the green chapel is nearby and he stays as a guest at the castle. The host strikes a bargain with Gawain. He will give him whatever he kills while hunting each day. If Gawain gives him whatever he receives during the day. The next morning, after the hunt has begun, the mistress of the castle comes to Gawain's room. She flirts with him and demands a kiss. Gawain does not want to offend the lady. Equally, he cannot dishonor his knightly vows, Camelot, or his host, but he offers a kiss. That night, the knight brings home a heart, and Gawain passes on the kiss without revealing its origin. The next day, the same thing happens, and Gawain receives two kisses, which he duly passes on to the knight, who has killed a boar. On the third day, he accepts the lady's green belt, after she tells him it will protect the wearer from harm. That evening, Gawain gives the knight three kisses, but not the green belt. On New Year's Day, Gawain sets off for the green chapel, as agreed. The green knight is waiting for him, and Gawain kneels to take the blows. The knight raises his axe twice without striking Gawain. The third time, he strikes Gawain on the neck, but cuts him only slightly. The green knight then admits that he is the knight from the castle, and that he had asked his wife to tempt Gawain as a test. If Gawain had given him the belt, he would not have cut him at all. 
He also says Morgan Le Fay was behind the trick. Gawain is mortified that he showed cowardice and disloyalty in accepting the green belt. He decides to wear it always to remind him of his failure and to keep him humble. After this, all the knights agree to wear green belts in his honor and to remember to keep their knightly vows. Before the sad event of the demise of Camelot, there lay the greatest adventure yet to face the knights of the round table, the search for the Holy Grail. The beginnings of the story were long before, in the early years of Arthur's reign. A rash and impetuous knight wounded the keeper of the grail with a holy spear kept with the grail. The wound would not heal, and because of it, the lands around the grail castle were turned into wastelands. The only person capable of curing this evil wound was Galahad, the purest knight that ever lived. He was conceived when the daughter of the wounded grail king came to Lancelot disguised as Guinevere. Some years later, the stage was set by two marvels. First, a stone floating in the river with a sword thrust into it bearing the words, No man shall draw me save the best knight in the world. Then Galahad's arrival at Camelot to claim the sword and take the final seat at the round table. The story tells how, one evening not long after Galahad came to Camelot, while Arthur and his knights sat at the round table, a great light entered the hall. Floating over them was the grail, draped in white cloth. It was there for a moment, and then gone, leaving them full of wonder. Sir Gawain was the first to swear that he would seek the meaning of this vision, but the others were not long in following suit. The next day, Arthur watched as the men who had made his dreams of chivalry a reality began the quest for the Holy Grail. After many adventures, Lancelot and Gawain came together to the castle of the Grail. Gawain was allowed to enter the Grail Chapel, but Lancelot, a sinner through loving Guinevere, was denied entry. Gawain's actions removed the curse on the wasteland around the Grail Castle, which began to grow again. After these two had left, Bors, Percival, and Galahad arrived at the castle. All three were admitted to the Grail Chapel, but only Galahad was given the Grail to drink from. Using the same spear that the young knight had used to wound the Grail King, Galahad cured the wound of his grandfather, and having fulfilled the divine role he had been born for, died. Percival remained at the castle, married the handmaiden of the Grail, and became the new Grail King. Only Bors was left to return and tell Arthur of the success of the quest. Percival was the Grail King's nephew, and he had been raised by his mother in the woods. He thought that knights were angels when he first saw them. When he discovered their true nature, he knew that he could not rest until he became as they were, and set off in a ragged outfit with just a small spear. Fortunately, his prowess matched his simplicity. In Camelot, he became a great fighter and received a veneer of civilization. Unfortunately, his new manners worked against him in the Grail quest. On an earlier journey, he encounters the Grail at the castle, in the Grail procession, but remains politely silent, not uttering the question, what is the Grail and whom does it serve? That would begin healing the wastelands. When he finally found his way back to the Grail, he was older and wiser. He was then able to take his destined place as the new Grail king. Many knights never returned from the Grail quest, and times were changing. Arthur was getting older, his knights were elsewhere, and Camelot was no longer as happy a place. As well, certain knights were envious of Lancelot and determined to expose him and Guinevere's lovers. Chief among these plotters was Mordred, son of Morgan le Fay, and some say Arthur's bastard son, born of incest. The lovers were becoming careless, and one night the conspirators caught Lancelot in the queen's chamber. Seizing a sword, Lancelot fought his way free and escaped. Mordred demanded that Guinevere be burned for her infidelity, and as sworn upholder of the law, Arthur had no choice. Sadly, he agreed. On the day of the execution, Lancelot and his followers appeared. Fighting their way to the stake, 
they released Guinevere, and he rode off with her. In the melee, Lancelot unwittingly killed Agravaine, Gareth, and Caharis, brothers of Sir Gawain and the Knights of the Round Table. They had been unarmed as a sign of grief at Guinevere's impending death. Gawain, although always a friend of Lancelot and no supporter of Mordred, was incensed and swore to take revenge. Arthur's forces, led by Gawain, besieged Lancelot's castle. The castle could not be taken, and Arthur was persuaded to take Guinevere back and allow Lancelot to go into exile. For a while, a troubled peace lasted, but the unity of the round table had been broken. Mordred and his followers continued to agitate against Lancelot, and Gawain brooded on the deaths of his brothers. Finally, arguing that Arthur must avenge his injured honor, Gawain persuaded the king to once again lead his forces against Lancelot, leaving Mordred behind at Camelot as regent. The siege of Lancelot's castle went on for many months, Gawain all the time challenging Lancelot to single combat and taunting him as a coward. Unhappily, Lancelot finally accepted the challenge. He won but would not kill his former friends. As soon as he recovered, however, Gawain challenged Lancelot again, and again Lancelot defeated him. Then a message arriving from Guinevere, asking for urgent assistance. In Arthur's absence, Mordred had set about consolidating his power. He spread the rumor that Arthur had been killed, and claiming the throne for himself, tried to force Guinevere to marry him. Arthur was furious and left for Britain with all his men, swearing vengeance. In the first battle, Gawain's recent wounds reopened. As he lay dying, he wrote asking Lancelot to come to Arthur's aid. Sadly, this message was too late. Arthur pursued Mordred until their two armies met. The slaughter was terrible. Surrounded by the dead knights of both sides, Arthur finally confronted Mordred face to face. They fought savagely, and Arthur killed Mordred on a spear, but not before he himself was fatally wounded. In his dying moments, Arthur called his remaining knight, Bedivere, to him. Handing him the great sword Excalibur, Arthur ordered that it be cast into the nearby lake. Bedivere did as he was commanded, and as the sword flew out over the water, a hand broke the surface and caught its hilt. Flourishing the blade, the hand sank beneath the waves, returning Excalibur to the other world where it had been made. Bedivere returned to the dying king and helped him to the water's edge. There they waited as a black boat drifted toward them. On the boat were several women, including Lady of the Lake and Morgan Le Fay. Gently they picked up Arthur and placed him on board. Pushing off from the shore, they took Arthur to the Isle of Avalon, where he lies to this day, waiting to be roused from his slumber to once again assist Britain in its hour of need. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed these readings, be sure to check out the book Mythology, Myths, Legends, and Fantasies. It's a large book filled with beautiful illustrations. Uh, One of my favorites in how it goes through the myths of all traditions in a very simple way that's relatable, understandable, in story format. That's why I shared that part of the book with you guys today. I hope you guys tune in next week. And this upcoming Herbal Hour podcast, I had on a naturopathic medical student and we talked about our journey in becoming naturopathic doctors, our struggles, insights, and how spirituality and religion can be part of your path and how they can help you overcome struggle. Hope you guys tune in. Be sure to subscribe if you like these kind of talks on natural health and the sharing of stories, the great myths of life that help us live in our daily lives. Thank you so much.